chapel and thank you for joining me this morning um, we will will you please stand and we will begin by singing number 48 all creatures of our king our God and King in the blue hymnal thank you number 48.
Good morning. Good morning and welcome to chapel. My name is Bob Yoder, one of the campus pastors here. And we also want to give a very warm welcome to a number of prospective students that we have on campus along with their parents. So for the rest of us, if we can invite them and, and welcome them with a cheer, that would be great. And also welcome back to you students from fall break and to the brass. I really appreciate that. Being a former trumpet player and French horn player, it's always good for me to hear brass playing. So thank you. As we focus our attention uh, on today's chapel, I invite you to recall a brief moment from this morning of the time when you woke up until the time that you arrived here, a brief moment of where you interacted with God's creation. Were you grateful for that interaction with God's creation? Were you annoyed by it? Did you offer praise for it? Or did you offer other words that weren't so praiseful for it? <laughs> this morning, the theme of our chapel focuses on God's creation and our care for God's creation. Luke Gosho, executive director of Mary Lee Environmental Center, which is part of Goshen College, will offer us a challenge this morning in his sermon titled, Overstepping the Boundary. One way to respond to today's message and chapel is to be involved in tomorrow's student-led 350 activities. And if you do not yet know what 350 is, I encourage you to look on today's communicator announcement, look on Goshen College homepage, you'll see a 350, 350, and it has a lot of good information about a variety of activities on campus here tomorrow morning, noon, and afternoon, and evening. So I invite you to as one way to respond to today's chapel. Now, as I light this oil lamp here in front of me, that is a reminder of God's presence with us in this space and time of chapel, I invite you to turn to number 670 in your blue hymnal. Number 670. I will read the leader portion, and I invite you to read the people portion. Number 670. Our God, we gather to worship you, the one who creates all things. We gather to worship you, the one who brings salvation through Jesus Christ. We gather to worship you, the one who sustains us by the Spirit. We bring to you our offerings of thanks and praise for all your gifts. We worship you, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen. I'll be reading from Jeremiah 9, 10 to 14. Take up weeping and wailing for the mountains and a lamentation for the pastures of the wilderness because they are laid waste so that no one passes through. And the lowing of the cattle is not heard. 
Both the birds of the air and the animals have fled and are gone. I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a layer of jackals, and I will make the towns of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. Who is wise enough to understand this? To whom has the mouth of the Lord spoken so that they may declare it? Why is the land ruined and laid waste like a wilderness so that no one passes through? And the Lord says, Because they have forsaken my law that I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice or walked in accordance with it, but have stubbornly followed their own hearts and have gone after the Baals as their ancestors taught them. In response to the reading from Jeremiah, um, can you please open up to number 68 and sing the story? It's the purple book. Um, we will be singing Kyrie and just kind of think about um, how we have failed to um, take care of uh, God's creation and Mother Earth and everything. So um, Tamara will play through once and we will be just be playing the melody line. If you're in the book, it is the second line, otherwise the words will be up on PowerPoint. I'll be reading Matthew 5, 3 to 9 from the NIV. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God.
Good morning. It's a delight to be with you and share in this chapel time, especially with the focus of the weekend that Bob has shared with us. I'm grateful this morning to share a number of thoughts that lead our thinking from the beauty that we see around us in these fall days, even though the rain that you encountered may have caused you to think otherwise about the beauty of creation. But the dew on the spider webs are very, is very evident at this time of the year. And the last creatures are appearing in all their beauty. It's a great delight to see those. And as I was flying with a friend this weekend, looking across the carpet of the landscape that we see in our area, the beauty of the leaves. And so as we talk and walk and think together this morning through a number of themes on this topic, I want us to understand some concepts related to overstepping the boundary. We'll look at three different areas. What are we bounded by? What are we overstepping? And how do we find hope? So let's begin by thinking about what are we bounded by? What surrounds us? Where are the edges? There are many questions that could be asked from this. But let's begin by looking at an early morning scene. As I opened the gate at Mary Lee a week or two ago, I took this photograph that you see, the beauty of the morning just starting to arise. And it reminded me of a statement about who we are and what we are bounded by. That is that we believe that the universe has been called into being as an expression of God's love. The universe has been called into being as an expression of God's love. And no matter what part of the day we are in or what season we are in, that bounding by this expression is very evident. It's also very challenging for us because sometimes we're not sure that this bounding by God's love is so prevalent as we would like to see it. Let's imagine a night or so ago when we could walk out and look at the starry skies that we would see a scene like this that only looks like a set of dots on the screen. And yet to know that there are constellations out there with the North Star right up here at the top. Revolving, it appears as the Earth turns. This universe is an expression of God's love. And this too is an expression of God's love. The world itself, or perhaps the side, the hemisphere in which we are located. And yes, even zooming down, we are an expression of God's love. I don't know if any of you were waving at me Sunday afternoon, but there you are. And so here we are, sitting in the chapel this morning, thinking about God's love in this connection with how that bounds us. One of the flowers I love to see in the fall would be the New England aster and this brilliant purple lavender color that we see. And as Psalm 33 verse 5 reminds us, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. But you heard that first scripture reading from Jeremiah. It makes us stop and say, now wait a minute. Where is that steadfast love of God that is to be so evident? So let's just ponder and look. Why is the land ruined and laid waste like a wilderness? 
so that no one can pass through. And the Lord says, because they have forsaken my law that I set before them and have not obeyed my voice or walked in accordance with it, but have stubbornly followed their own hearts. The bounding of God's love is evidence even while we don't pay attention to the boundaries. The law of God goes beyond what we read in the biblical text. It includes the understanding of the physical laws of nature as well. So as we consider what are these boundaries that we're overstepping, we perhaps should consider what is a boundary anyway? If you look at this photograph, you see a boundary, pretty clear. You see a forest bounded by cornfields, soybean, and hay. If you would walk up to the edge of that boundary, you would see that humans have been there. The whole scene itself is evident of that. As you would enter the woods, it doesn't say no trespassing. Instead, it says this is a preserve set aside. There is a boundary that you can see. Or if you look at this small little lake called Cub Lake at Mary Lee, the boundary is there. It's not quite as sharp and distinct as the one that you saw along the forest cornfield line, but the boundary is there. And as the water goes up and down, the boundary level changes. But I think this morning it's important for us to think of boundaries at a much larger size and scale. So as I look at the West Coast, where two of my children live, I recognize the scale of the ocean. Yes, there is a boundary with the land, and yet there's an expanse extending far beyond our view. And it's this level of boundary that we are considering this morning as well. So for example, if we look at planetary boundaries, and the screen up here would have a couple statistics on it, the columns indicate on the far right-hand side the pre-industrial value. In this case, the carbon dioxide was 280 parts per million, whereas the current status, the second column from the right, is 800 and, or 387 while the next one, the proposed boundary, is 350. We could look at another boundary, an example of biodiversity loss. Pre-industrial, on the right, very, very small. Current status, greater than 100, a factor. And the proposed boundary of 10. Or a third example would be the nitrogen cycle and how that has been influenced because of human use of nitrogen from the atmosphere. Pre-industrial, zero impact. We're at 121. The proposed boundary is 35. And there are other boundaries that are there. All of them which were set in place as part of that expression of God's love. Looking at this global picture, this is a graphic re representation of what I was just sharing. And so in the center are the boundaries that would be good for us to operate within. And yet you see the red indicators that are showing how much we are beyond the initial boundary or even extending beyond the preferred safe operating boundary. And you notice that we have three different ones that are well beyond that safe boundary, one of those contributing to climate change. 
And we know that occurs for a number of reasons, one of which is to note, for example, that the brown line indicates how much oil that we're using, and you see it continuing to climb with a projection beyond when this graph was made in 2005. You see at the bottom, the green line would be renewables moving at a very, very slow rate. And so the amount of carbon dioxide going into the atmosphere is very significant. The carbon dioxide concentration does vary over time. And we're looking at a chart here that goes back 450,000 years. And looking at ice core samples and other things, you see the variations. You see the ups and downs. But what's very significant to note is here at the far right-hand side, we are up above that 380 mark of parts per million. There is a change around us that's greater than any that we have seen in that 450,000-year chart. Or to put it in another perspective is to look at my own lifetime. I was born in 1952, and this graph ends in 2005. That's the carbon dioxide concentration change in just my lifetime. And so as we look at about 150 years of graphing, we see that spiking of global temperatures then corresponding to the carbon dioxide levels. That's why 350.org is a part of the conversation that's occurring not only here at Goshen College, but around the world tomorrow. Sea levels rise as the temperatures go up, and you can see the fine green line that indicates the current boundary or shoreline of the continents, but the other line is indicating where it was in the last ice age. Another aspect that we need to be very aware of in our minds as we think and reflect about these boundaries is the role that we in the United States play. And this is a chart of the energy use per person. You notice that per person in the United States, we are running at about 339 million BTUs per person per year, whereas the world's average is only 66. The imbalance is incredible and very sobering. This whole issue of the increase in the amount of carbon dioxide is like looking at a bathtub. And so on this side, you see a bathtub and you see CO2 listed uh, as to the level that it is. And let's just consider it in this fashion. Imagine that right up here, we have carbon dioxide emissions coming in to the bathtub, whereas down here we have a spout letting it flow out. Let's consider this chart, and if I play the chart, it goes like this. Carbon dioxide is coming in. It's increasing all the way up to 2007, stopping at almost 400 parts per million. So what happens if we continue at the same rate of impact and watch the lines continue and the bathtub fill up and overflow to a point of very difficult recovery? But what if we could just level off these emissions? Notice what happens here. We now are leveling the lines, and even as we level the lines, it continues to grow, and the bathtub also overflows. And the third scenario is to consider a decrease, a reduction in CO2. And you notice 
that in this model, it ends up going up to 450 parts per million and is maintained. Well, it's interesting to think about such a large system and the boundaries that are a part of this. And there are different statistics out there that indicate what needs to happen to make a difference. So for example, this one says 80% reduction by 2050 is what keeps it at 450. And there are others that talk about the 350 range, which is the one where stability can occur. This is some of the challenge and conversation that will be part of tomorrow. And so I close this morning by reflecting on how do we find hope? I'm actually a fairly hopeful person, and I found it a bit difficult to share some of the realities that I just shared with you this morning. But let's consider some ways that we find hope. Alistair McIntosh recently wrote a book called Hell and High Water, Climate Change, Hope, and the Human Condition. This is what he says in the last chapter, chapter eight. If we want to tackle the deep drivers of consumerism and so tackle the roots of climate change, we need to call back the soul. This means setting aside delusions of mere optimism about the future and blind faith in technological fixes. Yet paradoxically, deepening our capacity for hope. It means finding the courage to face death and hope and open the heart to love. It means being prepared to be surprised by potential depths of being of which we might previously have been unaware. And I believe we as people of faith can respond and bring the element of hope that is very critical to understanding the overstepping of boundary. So let's mention three things, and this is only the beginning of a list that I hope you will continue working on. Picking up on the previous slide by Alistair McIntosh, we need to reduce our consumption. And one of the ways to consider that is to go to the scripture and listen to what Jesus says as he teaches and walks. If we were walking around my garden, he would say, Luke, look at those birds, the finches eating off your sunflowers. Doesn't the heavenly father feed them? Or he would point to the lily blooming around the corner and say, what about the lily? Are I not able to care for them? Am I not able? And the grasses and flowers, the call to simplicity that Jesus asks of us is part of our responsibility. We need to reduce our consumption. We also need to practice restoration. Jesus teaches us this in the Lord's Prayer in a very interesting way because every time we pray through this prayer, in the middle of it we say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are asking for a restoration within the earth that is modeled after heaven. It's a coming down to earth of heaven. A statement that is quite encouraging and challenging for how we respond in restorative ways is this. As stewards of God's earth, we are called to care for the earth and bring rest and renewal to the land and everything that lives on it. Jesus cares about all the creatures, including this hummingbird moth flying around on a July day. 
while I'm sweating, but enjoying taking the photo. Jesus says in Matthew 25, verse 40, truly, I tell you, just as you did it unto one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And you saw all the slides earlier of the laying waste of the earth and the members of God's family, our family, is greatly stressed. We need to care for the least of these. The third is we need to seek Christ's peace. Christ's peace is so important for us. So as we look at the Gospel of John, and in the first verses there, it talks about in the beginning was the Word. We know that to be Christ. It says, what has come into being in him, Christ, was life, and the life was the light of all people. Our hope is found in Christ. The peace that God wants for us, the peace that God intends for us, for humanity and for creation, was revealed most fully in Jesus Christ. It is in seeking Christ and relationship with Christ that we can bring hope into a very troubling situation. And that is the hope that fills my entire being. There are three relationships that are very important for us. Human beings have been made for relationship, right relationship with God, to also live in peace with each other. And the third relationship of making right is to take care of the rest of creation. We have a calling that is noble and challenging. May we, as the scripture that was read this morning, seek this. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Thank you, Luke. Please turn to number 511, God Who Touches Earth, in the blue hymnal. 511.
I invite us to pause for prayer. Let us pray. Loving artist of creation, we rise from sleep to give you praise. From our hearts and homes and dorm rooms and apartment rooms, we look upon the array of creation and we delight in the beauty of our world, the magnificence of the whole universe. In the beginning, your love moved you to speak the word and to bring to birth the sun and the moon, the stars and the planets, the desert and the steppe, ocean and river, birds and beasts, women and men. How many are the ways in which the richness of creation reminds us of the deep and varied mysteries of your love for us? As we recall the resurrection of Christ, move us to sing your praises all the more. Give us voices to proclaim your goodness and to celebrate the gift of life that you have given us to tend. We ask this through Christ and the Holy Spirit, with you, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Following our final song in Sing the Journey, number 77, you will be dismissed. Sing the Journey, number 77.